0: Good morning. Uh, For anyone who might not know, my name is Bruce Sears. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, As you could saw earlier, our pastor was slumming this week with the youth out in Colorado. So uh, rather than him have to come home and preach, uh, he lets us want to be preachers, kind of have a chance every now and then. Uh, so we are continuing uh, in our journey through the book of the Gospel of John, and this week we're on chapter nine, and we're fixing to read the entire chapter, which is quite a bit of scripture to cover in a very short amount of time. So let's uh, let's start with the chapter John in uh, chapter nine in John verse one. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So the man went and washed and came home, seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly who had seen him begging. Ask, is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed it was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked. <clears throat> I don't know, he said. They brought him to the Pharise they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, And I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes, he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did, did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents <coughs> said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. But now I see. Amen. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open his eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he come from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. <clears throat> you don't know where he come from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who will do his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were seeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those <coughs> who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of your sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. <laughs> okay. Okay uh the word of God is so amazing it's it's so multifaceted you turn it one way and it looks like a diamond and you look at another way and it reflects another way and it's just uh and in the same scriptures uh, so many things can be seen and heard uh, you know sometimes it's uh instruction and sometimes it's an example for us, sometimes it's inspiration, sometimes it's admonishment. Uh, so, uh, and I think we can see that, and we'll see that in, uh, in this uh, story about a day in the life of Jesus, and this uh, man that was born blind, we'll call him Pilgrim from here on out. Uh, so, uh, so he's going to interact with Pilgrim today, and uh, along with some other people. Uh, So the first thing I see in verse 1 in chapter 9, it says, uh, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. All through the Gospels, if you watch and if you look at what Jesus is doing, where he's traveling from place to place and going (laughs) and doing the things that he does, all that he has, his eye open continually, for opportunity to minister to people. He's looking and seeing people who are blind, who are lame. Uh, And he never misses the opportunity to minister to them. The pattern is normally to minister to them physically and then minister to them spiritually as he's opened the door. Uh, So... I think it's a uh, example for us that as a church, as we are Jesus, we are his body, uh, while we're on this earth, it should be an example for us to do the very same thing, day in, day out, just walking through life, just doing What you do, just take the blinders off and just look and see the opportunities to minister out there. There there are people hurting. There are people uh, who need Jesus Christ in their life for all kinds of reasons and all sorts of reasons. And you saw it. And when you read when you read the gospel, I mean, it was, you know, whether it be the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, you know, whether it be a blind man, whether it be the, you know, the blind guys as he was leaving Jericho who were screaming Jesus, Jesus, and all the crowd was telling them to hush up. But I mean, there was there was constantly uh, minister opportunities and things haven't changed. People haven't changed. People need Jesus. They need a touch from him just as much now. And we have, if you've got Jesus living in your heart, this is what you can do. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to go to faraway places. I'm glad that we have missionaries in faraway places. But there's plenty of ministry opportunities right here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, And they're right in front of you every day if you'll just look, if you'll just take the opportunity to look. So that's one of the, that's the first thing I see in this verse. Uh, And then I thought, you know, I said, well, you know, there's some other things that Jesus sees, and and I'm glad that he does. Uh, Jesus sees our life. He sees our struggles. He sees our battles. he knows and he understands. Uh, there's a couple of scriptures. I, I'm going to wear laying out today uh, because we're going to cover scripture. Uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, 15 to 16. Uh, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Jesus understands. Jesus went through everything that we went through, you know, especially as a, you know, when you're a a teenager sometimes, or, you know, I don't know, even an adult sometimes, you think, well, boy, nobody understands. Wrong. Jesus understands. He's been there, done that. Uh, So we have a priest, a high priest in Jesus who sees and knows what we're going through in Psalms. Uh, 103, 13, and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. And he knows that because he formed us. Uh, He remembers that we are dust. Jesus knows that we're flesh and blood. He knows that we were born into this body of sin. He understands that. And he, and he sympathizes with us uh, just as uh, a parent would with a child. Uh, he knows what we're going through. And then a verse that I really like uh, in Second Chronicles 16 and 9. Uh, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's more of the story going on behind that, but I like that. The eyes of God roam throughout the earth looking for the hearts of those who need him to strengthen them to those who are committed to him. So Jesus sees and he knows. There is a flip side to that. Uh, Just in case you thought, That uh, because maybe you fool people, maybe you put on a happy face, maybe you put up a facade, uh, and you might have most people or all people fooled, but uh, God sees and he knows. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 4 again, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the body of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing and all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You're not fooling God. Even your thoughts, even your intents, your attitudes, he knows. And we should live our life like he knows. Because he does. He knows when we've been good or bad. <laughs> or, you know, give him at least as much credit as you give Santa Claus, right? Uh because the word of God is alive, you know, and what did in at the very beginning of John in John 1, 1, it says uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And then in verse 14 of chapter one, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we behold, and we beheld his glory. So Jesus sees. The second thing is Jesus is sovereign. Now this is not a uh, new revelation by any stretch, but I guess it just it it uh there was a verse in here, let's just read this in uh in John 9. Uh let's go through this little discourse real quick that he has with his disciples. He says, His disciples ask him, Rabbi Hussein, this man <coughs> or his parents that he was born blind, which I thought on faith value I read that and I think, well. How could it be him who sinned if he was born blind? He couldn't have sinned before he was born, I don't guess. And so that seems kind of, I don't know. And uh, him or his parents. And and Jesus says, uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned, uh, but it happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I guess I caught that kind of, you know, I thought, I guess, you know, that kind of sense of, uh, that kind of sense of fair play that we all have, I kind of read that and I go, well, ain't right. I mean, so what, he had to live his entire life blind up to this point, just so he could be there at this time in this place, uh, so Jesus could heal him, Uh, you know kinda of seems a little harsh. I don't know to me, you know, like I say that that kind of you know, I mean, you know, I know your parents tell you all your life when you're growing up, well, life's not fair, but you know, you still have that you kinda still want to have that uh that sense that, well, you know, things are some fair. So, you know, where did the disciples get this idea? And I and I you know, in uh back in chapter five when Jesus healed the the uh crippled guy that was laying on the mat, uh, after he healed him when it was all over with, he came back and Jesus told him, he said, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. So I'm sure that that's where uh, the, the uh, where they got the idea about sinning causing this blindness that he had, but like I say, he was born with it, so I don't think he could have done that. And then if you look in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, which is right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. uh, You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Talking about idols here. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. (laughs) Here again, so this is where they got the the question about, well, was it his parents that caused him to be blind? And uh, that's another one of those Uh, God is sovereign kind of statement. You know, you think, wow. And as a parent, you ought to think, whoa. Uh, You know, my children down to three or four generations could be held accountable for my sins. Here again, (laughs) Jesus and God are sovereign. And I don't understand. I I don't know why really bad things happen to really good people. I, I don't know why when the tornado goes through that one house gets leveled down to the foundation and the house next to it hardly has a shingle missing. I don't know why. I don't know that. Uh, maybe one day uh, we will. I know that Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, he said, The sun rises on the good and the evil and that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Uh, You know, we got, I guess the most glaring uh, example of God's sovereignty is in Job. I mean, there's Job just doing his thing, godly man, and God allows This calamity to come on him, and in a matter of minutes, he's lost everything he had, including his children. And then it was him, and you know, to the point that his wife says, Curse God and die. But Job has to listen to a bunch of his friends tell him that surely he had done something wrong for all this to come upon him. And anyway, when they had all gotten through and everything, and you just start, you can look it up, look at, read it sometime. Uh, in Job 38, God starts off with, "Pull up your breeches and come here. I want to talk to you, and I want you to answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world?" Where were you when I drew the lines between the oceans and the seas and the land? Where were you when I put the stars in the heavens? I am God. He is God, and we're not. Uh, in Romans 9 that we studied last year, uh, you know, it says, Who are you, O man, uh, to speak, to talk to God? uh can the can the creation say to the creator why did you make me this way and does not the potter uh does not the potter have the privilege of making that clay into whatever he wants to make it into god is sovereign and we're, he is almighty god and so the only thing uh that I think that we can do is he is sovereign and he does not consult us <laughs> on things but God is love and in Romans chapter 8 and 28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose so God is sovereign but he works it out, and he will work it out. And sometimes when you're going through things, this is a tremendous verse. you to commit that to memory. Uh, because sometimes you're not going to understand what's going on or why it's happening or how that, how could that possibly happen. Children that are born into some of the things they're born into, but you just have to believe and know that God works all things to the good of those who love him. Amen? Okay, the next thing, moving along. Uh, I entitled this next section Barely Recognizable Uh, Let's read a couple of verses out of John Let's start uh, Let's start in verse 6 Lane if we can Uh, After saying this Well in the world we are okay Okay, after saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. He said, go and wash. And then in verse eight, his neighbors who had formerly (coughs) seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself had to keep insisting, I am the man. When you have a one-on-one touch from the creator of the universe, from your creator who created you, you ought to be changed. Something ought to be different. You ought to be transformed. You ought to be changed to the point that friends and neighbors go, Is that? Huh? What? You ought to be different. Noticeably different. It ought to be and it should be a life-changing experience. Is that Bruce? I don't know. I thought he was a liquor drinking, dope smoking, foul mouth, ill tempered. I'm a gun. That's the Bruce I knew. Who is this? We ought to be changed. We ought to be different. Levi got just got up and walked out. You want to see somebody different? How many of you knew Levi when he first came here? Is Levi different? <laughs> Uh, in case you don't know Levi used to be an enforcer in a gang uh, a motorcycle gang I'm sure that he would be glad to tell us how different he is right now and now he ministers full time amen uh we're going we're going to run through some scripture I told you we were going to run through scripture but the reason let's look at ephesians 2 1 through 6 God who is rich in his mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. Amen. That ought to change you. That ought to make you different. You were dead and now you're alive. You were carnal you were of this world, and you operated in the operating system of this world, and now you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Let's look at Colossians 1, 21. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accuracy accusation you are alienated from God and now you're seated in heavenly places one more scripture 2nd Corinthians 5 and 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation his new creation has come the old has gone the new is here you ought to be barely recognizable to you old folks, to the folks you used to know who knew you. When you know, it, If all you ever saw was a cocoon, it'd be hard to know that's where that butterfly came from. And that ought to be us, folks. We ought to be barely recognizable. After Jesus has changed us, when we were blind but now we see, when we were dead but now we are alive, when we are alienated and now we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, we ought to be different. We should be different. Amen? Amen. Next. Okay, I entitled this next segment. We're taking a little of this kind of... Uh, here we go again. Uh, it's our good old buddies, the Pharisees. <coughs> uh, let's look at John 13. Uh, Lane, if we can, in that neighborhood. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the guys and the man's eyes, pilgrim's eyes, uh, was the Sabbath. So we've <laughs> already been through this before uh, with, with the man, uh, that he, the crippled man that he healed because he carried his mat, you know, and so once again... We got to this, the the uh, Pharisees in an uproar. With, in the, well, they were really in an uproar before this happened, but now I really think I don't think it would be. I think sometimes Jesus, you know, in his sovereignty, uh, you know, he could have healed the guy's eyes any way he wanted to. He didn't have to spit in the dirt and make mud and put it on his eyes. And see, this is the if you kind of The the thing that really got them up in arms on this deal is that's how the Hebrews, that's how you made brick back then. You mixed water uh, with clay, and you made bricks, and by the Pharisees' set of rules, you could not do that on the Sabbath day. So, you know, as usual, they take any little piece of a rule that they could and try and use it against him. But I guess the thing that I really see, I, I or I guess I started asking when I was uh studying this, I thought, you know why we spend a lot of time in the New Testament talking about the Pharisees uh, and I believe it's because if we're not very careful, Jesus knows that we'll fall into that same trap we'll We'll lean. We'll try and make something other than Jesus Christ and a him as our Lord and Savior and master that will make some other way to salvation other than Jesus. In the case of the Pharisees, it was their rules. They had to obey all the rules. If I do this, if I do A, B, C, D, and adopt my I, and cross my T's, then everything's going to be okay. Anything that we substitute for Jesus Christ is going to put us on the wrong road. Even, even uh, you know, and I guess what we see today and what you hear a lot today is, well, you know, I'm a I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I, you know, I get up and go to work every day. I provide for my wife and kids. You know, I, you know, I don't smoke I don't chew don't go out with girls that do you know I just you know I'm I'm a good old boy you know surely I would not go to hell there's no way that the loving God would send me to hell right because I don't hurt nobody I don't abuse my kids I don't rob steal cheat lie you know I'm a good old boy uh I think you're talking about a mission field. I heard a pastor many years ago preach a sermon on exactly this. He what he called a propositional gospel. A preacher can get up and convince you that you've probably done something wrong sometime in your life, and that there's a place called hell, and you don't want to go there. And so there's people that you know at some point in time probably said. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I've probably done something wrong. And yeah, as you say, so, I guess there's a place called hell. And so what they did was they went down to the front of the church, and they signed a card, and they got dunked in the water because they wanted some fire insurance, but they were never changed. They never repented. They never turned around and did an about face in their life. But they're counting on that. And if they, and they, these are the people that answer when you ask them, are they saved? If you ask them, uh, do they know Jesus? And they'll say things like, well, I'm a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or whatever, you know. Or, you know, or, I've been baptized. You know, it, that's not... Uh, they're leaning on something that was not life-changing. And it pushed them... In a place, uh, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, uh, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to the path of destruction, and many there are on it, that path. And there is the gate, straight is the gate, that leads to salvation. Only a few find it. I think there might be a whole lot of people that might be depending on the fact that they follow a set of rules, that they have nice, they're nice people, uh, or they went down and signed a card in front of a church one time when they were six, and they're counting on that, and only they know, I mean, only you know in your heart uh, if that's the case, but I think... uh, Later on in John, in chapter 14, we're going to hear Jesus say another I am. Uh, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and there is no other way to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Amen? All right. There's handle with the Pharisees. Uh, this one's pretty quick. Uh I call this Witnessing 101. Uh, Lane, can we look at, uh, can we look at chapter, at, um, in chapter 9 on verse, uh, let's start in verse 9, 10, somewhere in there. There we go. So they said, man, I don't even I don't recognize this guy. Is this who it is? And they said, how then, Were your eyes opened? And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash in Siloam, or go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I could see. Witnessing 101. You don't have to have a degree in theology to witness. You don't have to be in the full-time ministry. You don't have to be a missionary. Uh, you don't even have to, you know, just the only qualification is what did Jesus do for you? Can you repeat to another person what Jesus did for you? It it makes you the star witness every time. Uh, just... Just tell your story, and you know what? It's okay. It, it, you know, if you look down there in verse twelve, and they ask him where this man was, uh, and he said, "I don't know." He didn't. He didn't know where he was at the moment. You know, and and you know, when you're witnessing the people, they might ask you some questions that you don't know. Well, don't don't let that scare you. Don't let that. Don't pull back because of that. It's okay to say, I don't know the answer to that question, but we'll go find somebody who can, who doesn't know. You know, we'll go talk to the preacher. We'll go talk to somebody, and we'll find out what the answer is. It's okay to say, I don't know. And then, you know, to me, and then uh, if you drop down in uh, the verse 25, To me, one of the you know this this uh, star this in your Bible, uh, underline this, highlight it, whatever you do. Uh, You know they're press the Pharisees are pressing him again, trying to change his story. You know they don't believe what he's saying because they don't want to believe what he's saying, and so one more time. this man turns into the perfect witness. You know, I don't know whether he is a sinner or not. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Amen. Amen. Just tell people what Jesus has done for you when you have the opportunity. It, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be deeply theological. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it doesn't have to be written in King James. You know, it doesn't have to have any vowels or whatnots in it. Just, uh, just know and tell people what Jesus did for you. Witnessing one oh one. And then last, uh, going to close with this real quick. I wish we could cover. We could do. We could spend about. Three or four (laughs) weeks on this chapter. But uh, uh, the $64,000 question. How many of you have ever heard somebody probably older than you say, that's a $64,000 question? Anybody heard that? Yeah, we got a few hands have heard that. Well, do you know where that came from? Okay, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, uh, th- it was a game show that was on in the 50s. Uh, I had to look this up because I didn't know exactly. I was alive in the 50s, but I was toddling. Okay, uh, there you go. Y'all know how old I am now. So, uh, so this was from 1955 to 1958. Uh, it was uh, it was a very popular. It was very. The ratings were really good. A lot of people watch this, and it was kind of like game shows some of the day where they ask you a series of questions with increasingly higher stake, you know, more money, and the questions got harder as you went along. Anyway, but for, as opposed to today when there's millions of dollars, uh, but back then, in 1955, $64,000 was a lot of money. I can, I can assure you that. And so... Uh, It kind of carried over, and then, so especially my dad's, my my folks' generation who were watching that, uh, it it kind of became a thing, you know. When it was a particularly hard or particularly difficult or important question, they would say, wow, that's a $64,000 question. So that's where that came from. And uh, uh, it sort of kind of made it a life-changing question and uh, it sort of uh, was real important I guess Uh, and so in uh, in verse 35 we see Jesus ask this man the same question the $64,000 question do you believe In the son of man. Do you believe. In Jesus. It's. It's an eternity. Deciding question. It is by far and away. The. One. And only. Most important. Question that you will ever answer. There's nothing. That even comes close. It's worth way more than $64,000, I assure you. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And this is not like, well, I believe we ought to paint the cabinets white, or I believe we'll go eat Mexican for lunch. This is not the kind of believe I'm talking about. I'm talking about believe that changes you to the point of unrecognizable. I'm talking about believing that permeates every fiber of your body, uh, that influences your conduct, that changes the way you conduct yourself at work, at home, at play, uh, who your friends are, what your hopes, what your aspirations are. It changes you and it settles where you will spend eternity. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? It is the question of the day. It is the question of our lives. Do you believe in Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we just praise you today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is powerful, that it is active, that it is alive. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that it changes us. Lord, that it builds us up. Lord, that it encourages us, that it warns us and admonishes us. And Father, I just pray, Lord, and I thank you today that the name of Jesus can be lifted high Lord that all men should be drawn unto him and we just thank you Lord for your presence right now here among us in Jesus name